0: So all right. Hello once again to all of our all of our listeners out there in points throughout the cotton belt from California to the Carolinas. We are back with this the 23rd episode, the Michael Jordan episode of the world famous Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, my name is Beck Barnes, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Cotton Grower Magazine's senior editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Jim, hello. Uh,
1: how are you doing, Beck? You can you can tell that we're working the southern markets if you're talking about the 23rd episode as the Michael Jordan episode, as opposed to our our friends and our our corporate
0: partners up in Ohio who oh, look yeah. at it
1: as the LeBron James that's episode.
0: Right. Yeah, that's right. I, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Our uh, publishing com- our publishing corporate offices. Uh, they're not terribly corporate, though. It's about 120 folks. Pretty, I consider it pretty mom and pop up there. Uh, mm-hmm. great company. Meister Media is located in Cleveland, Ohio. So, yes, they would. As soon as our sound engineer hears this, he's going to shoot me a note to say it's the LeBron James episode. Uh, anyhow... That's why I was really trying to cover you on yeah, that one. Yeah, way. I appreciate that, Jim. Uh, a good teammate, as always. So, mm-hmm. today is Friday, September 16th. And as far as our industry goes, man, this has been a newsy week, about as news-packed as you could possibly have. Uh, you all out there around the Cotton Belt have likely already heard, but Bayer and Monsanto formalized their long-rumored merger or, or buyout, we'll get into that here in a bit, uh, they finally formalized and went through with that thing earlier this week. Uh, I believe it was Wednesday that that happened? Thursday morning?
1: I, the days are running together so quickly on this. <laughs> it was. I believe it was finally announced Tuesday morning.
0: There you go. There you go. So um, anyhow, as I say, we'll get into that here in a bit. For our purposes, uh, obviously, in the cotton market, what you have now... Are what have traditionally been three of the biggest if not the three biggest seed brands uh, in the country year to year Uh, of course Phytogen has been somewhere in that top three uh, depending on the year over the past what decade or or if not more so uh, anyhow you have three of the biggest seed brands in the in America have now all come under the same corporate umbrella so uh, the mind reels as far as the possibilities of what's going to have to happen with these three brands. So I don't want to get too deep into that right now. We are going to dig, uh, do a deep dive into that later in this episode. Uh, We also had uh, in a totally or somewhat related development, the USDA cotton varieties planted uh, report dropped for 2016. That came to us on Wednesday. And so uh, we want to dig into that. It's it's a report that I look forward to each year because it is as revealing as can possibly be in terms of what you guys, uh, dear listeners, are up to out there. What you value in a cotton seed, what agronomic issues are the most important to you. Uh, it's just, it's very interesting for us. And so we want to get into that a little bit and uh, sort of pick your brains as far as what you planted out there. Other things have happened. WASD report, normally something that we would peg our uh, podcast to, also came out this week. That's it's like number three on our <laughs> on our news uh, uh, bullet points this week. And also, we had a crop progress report come out. So Jim's going to talk a little bit about that and uh, how the cotton crop is progressing out there across the Cotton Belt at this point in mid-September. So, as you can see, we've got a packed show, a great show lined up for you today. We are going to begin, like always, with Jim leading us into a discussion of these latest Breaking Cotton headlines. In fact, that is really gonna be the meat and potatoes of this show today. We're just going to explore all of these topics um, in depth to make sure you are as knowledgeable as can be when you get done listening to today's Cotton Companion Podcast. There's so much going on that I'm not even going to mention my existential dread about tomorrow's Ole Miss versus Alabama football game. I wondered how long it was going to take you to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by the time y'all are listening, it will be done and dusted, and and I will probably be in a sour mood at the beginning of next week when y'all are listening to this uh, as an Ole Miss fan. But uh, for now, we're not even going to get into it. We just want you to hang around through this quick break. And when we get back, uh, we will be diving into all of these topics. So hang out, and we'll be right back.
1: Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome back, dear listeners. Uh, as Beck said, we're going to jump into the newsy items of the week, and boy, do we have some good ones to, uh, to spend some time on. Uh, let's get the, the, the basic reports out of the way first. Uh, looking at the uh, USDA Crop Progress Report, and this would be as of dated September 11th. Uh, so certainly there have been some changes uh, in, the, in the crop situation between now and then. And we'll, of course, we'll see those numbers on, on uh, coming up next week. Uh, but for cotton, uh, the bowl's opening. So basically, the, the, uh, the percentage of the, the cotton crop that has open bowls in it at this point as of September 11th was looking at 41% uh, nationwide. Uh, there are seven states right now, uh, Arizona, Arkansas, Georgia, Louisiana, uh, and and several others that are actually running ahead of their five-year average. Uh, that's the one thing we keep hearing from people in the market right now, out in the, the cotton specialists and other folks, is that this crop is coming on fast. Uh, it's probably about two weeks ahead of schedule, uh, which has some folks, uh, I think, scrambling right now to do uh, do some final insect control if they need to. Uh, and start looking at their uh, at their harvest plans. Uh, speaking of harvest, this is the first week that we've seen a cotton harvested report uh, as part of the crop progress. Uh, as you can imagine, right now, we're looking at maybe four percent of the crop that has uh, has actually made its way out of the field. Uh, Arizona and Texas surprisingly lead the way there. Uh, Texas primarily in that South Texas area where we understand, uh, we're seeing hearing reports of some really, really good, impressive uh, yields off of uh, some dryland acres down there. So uh, we'll keep our eye on that number. Uh, we expect it to start rising rapidly uh, because there are a lot of reports out there now of uh, fields that have been defoliated or fields that are going to be defoliated within the next week uh, across the southeast and the mid-south. Uh, because again as we said the crop is running uh is running fast and uh and running ahead of schedule.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of that was it just last year we ran that uh defoliation report in the September issue and got just a a handful of emails from guys in the, in South Texas like I appreciate this. We're Yeah, we're, we're done. We're, we're put away. Yeah, we're finished <laughs> for the year. Appreciate this defoli these defoliation tips. Uh <laughs> In your September issue,
1: but... It's never an exact science, folks, and this is the one thing about the media is we try to work ahead, but, you know, we can't predict crop crop conditions and, and things like that. Yeah, so,
0: can't so tailor that magazine that absolute, specifically for absolutely you. Absolutely
1: not, but we have certainly learned to give South Texas its due.
0: No doubt, no doubt.
1: Absolutely. Well, to finish out the crop progress part, our cotton conditions for, uh, for the week ending September 11th, um, we were looking at uh, really and truly the crops still in great shape. Uh, 47% are rated good or excellent. 37% fall into the fair category and only 16% uh, into that poor, very poor category. Uh, some of that is weather related uh, in a lot of areas that have had too much rain. Uh, some of it is disease related, which is, again ties back to, uh, you know, to the weather. Uh, but all in all, I think the, uh, the crop's in good shape. Uh, you talk to cotton specialists and, and other folks across the belt. They're very pleased with uh, with how this crop is, is turning out at this point. Moving on to uh, the September World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates Report uh, that was released by USDA on Tuesday of this week. Uh, basically, it was... Uh, It was a report that was met with a lot, sort of a a general shrug by the industry, by the folks in the industry. Uh, For September, the estimates included larger production and ending stocks relative to where they were in August. Uh, Production was raised in the US, 263,000 bales, uh, and beginning stocks were revised 100,000 bales lower uh, based on what the report said uh, at the end of July. Domestic mill use down slightly. Uh, But other than that, export forecast was unchanged. Uh, World cotton production uh, was mostly offset by lower beginning stocks. So world ending stocks were raised very, very slightly. Global consumption virtually unchanged. Trade revised down marginally, with world ending stocks projected at 89.8 million bales. Uh, As you can imagine, uh, again, any time a report comes out, the first thing we look at is what's the price? What did it do to the price? And uh, in this case, and I'm quoting Dr. Don Shirley, who uh, who does a very nice monthly analysis of of the uh, of the report out of the University of Georgia, basically saying whatever the market was expecting, it didn't get from this report. So prices reacted accordingly and went down. Uh, they were right around the $0.69 cent area prior to the, to the report, but as soon as the report came out, prices dropped $0.02. Cents. Uh, so as, as, as uh, Don says, it's probably safe to assume the market didn't like the new numbers. Uh, so prices this week have ranged between $0.66.5 cents and $0.68, cents, but again, still down about $0.01.5 cent prior to the report. Uh, and before walking in here this morning to uh, to record, I checked the uh, the market prices. Uh, they again have been falling in that very steady, not moving category. Uh, but today's price for October uh, 2016 cotton is uh, 67.7. For December, uh, 67.04, and for March of 2017, the price is 67.3. So. Again, we're sort of back into uh, a holding pattern of sorts when it comes to prices. Uh, I think there is some reason for optimism, still optimism out there. Uh, with, uh, you know, with Still with some possible weather impact on, uh, on the US crop, there's definitely been some impact on crops in other countries. Uh, there's some trade opportunities that, uh, that may, be, may be possible. So there's still some folks that think we will we will see a bump back up to the high 60s, you know, maybe not quite to 70, but uh, we'll see how conditions go. Things always change when uh, when it comes time to get the crop out of the field. Um, the next item was the uh, cotton varieties planted report that was issued on September 14th, and. Uh, going through this, as Beck said earlier, we always, we always like to take some time and sit down and, and kind of examine this report uh, as, as closely as we can because it does give us an idea of where the technologies are uh, on a regional basis and certainly how, how the, uh, our, our seed companies are doing from a, uh, from a competitive perspective as well. This year, again, uh, Delta Pine. Was the most popular brand of upland cotton planted in the US? Um, but the surprise came in Americot and NextGen, uh, their next-gen brands were the second most popular varieties planted this year. Uh, coming in third or finishing third in this was uh, Bayer's Fibermax brand, Phytogen ranked fourth, uh, Bayer's Stoneville brand ranked fifth, and the Altex Dynagro varieties. Uh, ranked six the, the surprising part in this is for the last couple of years, either a phytogen variety or a delta pine variety have topped the charts in terms of the most popular variety planted in the U.S. This year, it was Americot's NG3406B2XF.
0: We should say, the first time that we deviated off of that delta pine or phytogen variety was actually last year, Stoneville's Forty nine, right. forty six was number mm-hmm. one in twenty fifteen. Don't want to shortchange our friends over at Stoneville, but but you're right. It was mm-hmm. a such a curveball uh, to see Next generals thirty four oh six B two XF uh, come in as the coast to coast leader. I mean, you could. We we just started looking at this thing close. What was it yesterday around yesterday. lunchtime, Jim? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it snatched up, mm-hmm. snapped up. About 17% of that Southwest market, which, as you all know, is the largest region in the—I mean, half the acres of the over half the acres in the country are grown—Texas, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Kansas, New Mexico. Uh, so to get 17% of that market is a big get. But they also had about 12% of the acreage in the Delta region too. Uh, so, you know, those guys out at Amerikot, uh Terry Campbell, the GM, general manager out there, uh, have been you know telling me for years he says man we're, you know we're we're trying to get on those delta acres we're trying to get on those southeast acres we're making a push we're doing the research we're doing the marketing do they have their own breeding program there at americot and dang if they didn't come through in a big way uh here in 2016. so it was uh yeah i mean it was
1: it was certainly a surprise uh and a, and a pleasant surprise from that perspective uh when when you look at the overall uh Delta Pine Varieties are setting this year on 32.6% of the whole entire U.S. acreage. Uh, obviously then you've got you know, strong numbers regionally uh, from each of these companies. The Americot NextGen uh, overall was 22.5% of, of this year's acreage. Uh, FiberMax was on uh, 16.2% of the U.S. acres, Phytogen on 12.9%. Um, Stoneville Bear Stoneville on 8.8 percent, and the Altex Dynagro on 6 percent. Now, one other thing I want to circle back around to Phytogen on is Phytogen is is the primary choice for those Pima cotton acres that are uh, that are out there. Uh, they have three varieties that topped the Pima chart, uh, and when you add those three together add those three plus a few other varieties that they have on the Pima chart uh, the spotogen varieties account for almost 73 percent of all the Pima acreage so uh, they've always been strong in that market they continue to dominate that market uh, and apparently have uh, have at least three have several good varieties out there that are performing well for for growers at this point uh, The one other thing that the report always tells us every year is, uh, the amount or the percentage of varieties that fall in, other transgenic varieties, either have uh, an insect control trait or a weed control trait or both in, uh, in with the seed. Uh, this year, those varieties account for 98.7% of all upland cotton planted in the US. Uh, the rest obviously would fall into, uh, obviously, non-transgenic or, uh, or organic cottons at this point so that's kind of the report for uh, you know for this year um, it's good to see uh, it's good to see some change and some shift uh, I think the one thing that jumped out at us as, as we were looking through this is uh, the technologies that are involved in these and it's it, it's become clear at this point while we're still in a waiting you know in waiting mode for uh, for finalization on some of the, the approvals uh, of products that the, uh, that the Monsanto ExtendFlex, Bogard 2 ExtendFlex technology uh, performed very, very well, as did Phytogen's Wide Strike Roundup Flex variety. So um, I know there's, uh, there's some folks out there waiting for the Enlist technology, and we know Phytogen has some Enlist varieties out there this year on a limited basis. Uh, We'll be following that, and it'll always be interesting to see this time next year uh, when that report pops up to see see what kind of changes we uh, we do see.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt those guys that mm-hmm. these <laughs> this sort of unprecedented uh, like a rocket shot of America up the uh, market share chart here, which was a, a horribly. Mm-hmm mixed metaphor that I just threw together <laughs> there, mashed together. Uh, Americot's Rise is no doubt hooked to that extend flex technology that many of their varieties boasts. Uh, mm-hmm. the next gen rise, Americot's next gen varieties boast. Um clearly those guys out in the southwest wanted to get their hands on that uh mm-hmm. on that trait package. And I know mm-hmm. that there's gonna be a lot of people in this country who are really relieved when that uh, when and if that USDA uh, regulatory green light comes down the pipe uh, hopefully sooner than later. Uh, ditto for the Enlist varieties, obviously.
1: Well, it's, it's definitely an indication that weed control is, is it's becoming a primary driver in, uh, in the variety selections. And, uh, and and with this technology and certainly with the Enlist technology and the same thing with the Bayer technologies uh, and, and Phytogen, all of them right now are multiple uh, multiple herbicide technologies with both uh, glyphosate and glufosinate. We're just waiting on the approvals uh, for the new dicamba and 2,4-D formulations uh, to go and, and hopefully uh, from all indications uh, in talking with a few folks over the last few weeks, it looks like the end of November is the date that uh, that is circled in red at this point for, uh, for all of this to clear EPA. So keep your fingers crossed uh, that we have some good news at that point, preferably before.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And and trust us when we say the editors of Cat and Gore magazine <laughs> have our fingers crossed uh, for those two technologies too. Absolutely.
1: And then we get to the big deal of the week, and and I've I mean, literally, literally, yeah, literally, not even figuratively, literally, at this point. As we've gone through through this year's, really and truly, I guess since late last year, when the first merger or when the intended merger of Dow and Dupont was announced, uh, the market has just kind of have seen its 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 share of rumors and other moves uh, in terms of, of growing because of the situation in the the current situation in the ag market. Uh, looking to enhance uh, their company's offerings looking to improve their bottom lines looking for ways to to operate more efficiently and provide services to growers uh, obviously we've had the Dow DuPont merger and that seems to be moving along relatively smoothly at this point obviously though there are some regulatory folks looking at it both in the US and, uh, and abroad uh, you have the Kim China acquisition of Syngenta that is still in still in the works Uh, companies there are also very confident that uh, that all of that's going to square away and then suddenly here within the last couple weeks there's just been this rash of you know possibilities Uh, we've got fertilizer companies potash corporation and agrium uh, getting ready to merge Uh, and then on the heels of that discussion comes the news this week that Bayer and Monsanto have reached an agreement Uh, for Bears acquisition of Monsanto a couple of things just the facts I guess behind this Uh, the the deal is basically valued at 66 billion with a B dollars Uh, it's 128 dollars per share it's gonna be an all-cash transaction based on Monsanto's closing share price on back on May 9th which was the day before Bears first written proposal to Monsanto So this offer basically is a 44% premium to Monsanto shareholders over what that price was on on May 9th. Um, The combined business is going to benefit from Monsanto's leadership in seeds and traits and the climate corporation platform that uh, that they have for, for precision ag, along with Bayer's crop protection product line across a whole range of crops in geography, so again, we're we're really creating a a recreating a true global business here from uh, from a seed and chemical perspective. Uh, you're going to be able to uh, have both companies' uh, innovation capabilities and R&D technology platforms. Uh, it's becoming increasingly expensive for single companies to spend a lot of time and dollars on R&D uh, simply because of the 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 cost factors involved in it. Uh, there was a note, and, and Beck will. Those of you, those of you listening to this, can't see the pile of paper I have here in my hand. <laughs> yeah. Based on things that, that have been that have been said and written about this deal over the last two days, uh, but basically, uh, there was some speculation and, and discussion that uh, the R&D budget alone for this combined but for this combined company would be somewhere in the three billion dollar range in terms of looking at new technologies and new uh, new products that would uh, that would help that they could bring to the market uh, hand in hand. Uh, there is a contingency plan in place because obviously when you have a deal this big there's always a possibility that it will not go through uh, and there are a lot of investment people out there who are saying this has a 50, 50 to 70 percent chance of, uh, of actually finalizing. Uh, if it doesn't go through, Bear is going to pay uh, a $2 billion uh, breakup fee uh, back to Monsanto if if the deal just doesn't get approved.
0: I don't know about that breakup fee. They're, Bloomberg had an interesting story out uh, earlier this week that kind of sort of briefly went through the the hurdles that this deal faces. You mentioned it's it's uh, got a 50 percent chance of potentially you put it in a very glass half full way in terms of the the deal going through. It's also, it's a coin flip, whether or not this thing is is going to be uh, approved on multiple fronts. They mentioned that it faces conglomerate antitrust issues. Uh, In terms of the cotton market, I mean, I, I think that you have a, a, uh, an issue as far as total market share between these two companies with their seeds. I mean, just this year, uh, in terms of acreage market share in 2016, Bayer and Monsanto mm-hmm. accounted for about 60% of US acres in total. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm stepping on your toes nope, if you want to get to that later, but this is all sort of hooked into what I'm getting at, all these regulatory hurdles. So you're looking at uh, you know, this one company controlling too much of the market, there are antitrust issues there, uh, you have to worry about price uh, competition if you're a cotton grower. So. Very similar to when Monsanto took over Delta Pine back in 2007. you may see a couple of these seed brands being spun off you may not I, I, I would assume that you would uh,
1: I, I think everything that we have seen so far every comment from from folks within the, the investment industry people who deal with uh, deal with deal with deals like this yeah uh, on a regular basis are saying yes there'll probably have to be some you know something's going to have to give. Uh, in order to to get the the necessary approvals through the Justice Department and and meet all of the antitrust uh, situations, uh, again, you mentioned in 2007 when when Monsanto bought Delta, Delta Pine, uh, at that point they owned Stoneville, yeah, and had to sell the Stoneville seed unit, uh, and they sold that to Bayer, which Bayer then combined with with their with their existing FiberMax unit, uh, but then they also NextGen at that point was a division of Stoneville. And at, at that point, back in 2007, uh, Americot's the company that stepped up to buy the nextGen varieties. Uh, so it's, 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 I think it's interesting to, to sit back and, and look at this because even though there's some other mergers and things in the marketplace, there are also. Some other companies sitting there who are watching this very very closely, yep. that are not part of all of this merger acquisition action right now, but certainly could benefit from if uh, if a seed brand becomes available, if a couple of uh, crop protection chemicals become available, if some traits become available through this, uh, that they would be uh, they could be in a position to to add those to their product portfolio. And BASF has has basically publicly said. We are going to look at everything in this as a possibility if there are any options or opportunities to grow grow our market. So
0: BASF, a uh, likely suspect in terms sure. of companies you would look at who potentially scoop <clears throat> up uh, a seed brand if it's spun off here. You also look at Syngena, another huge uh, ag exactly. corporation business that currently doesn't have a seed brand. Uh, their CFO is actually on record a guy named. Chief Financial Officer John Ramsey uh, told a reporter in July that they are ready to buy assets divested, if there are assets divested in this merger, uh, including cotton. They are ready and wait, waiting in the wings. Yep. Um, and it, but in addition, Jim, I'm straying. All this stuff is related, and we're straying into these speculation about what might happen with any of these three seed brands that are up under the same corporate umbrella now. What I was trying to get at is, in addition to the problems that pop up in terms of antitrust about one company having 60% of total market share in the cotton uh, industry, there's also uh, a U.S. National Security Review and U.S. Senate hearing underway or in plans uh, at this moment uh, regarding the ongoing wave of ag business consolidation. Uh-huh. Uh, earlier this year, St. Jenna who we just mentioned, uh, agreed to be acquired by a, a group called China National Chemical Corp. Uh, and Dow, obviously Dow and DuPont agreed to merge earlier this year, something that we covered. So something that the US. government's looking at. It you know, too much consolidation, as we all know, is could be worrisome to the end product consumer, you guys, people who are trying to buy seed, trying to buy chemical, uh, when you have this much elimination of competition, price competition, it could be detrimental to the industry and to the country as a whole. So that's something that the U.S. government is looking at. Uh, I had to shake my head earlier kind of as an aside here. I didn't realize that Syngina had been bought up by China National Chemical Corp. It's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like you may be too. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals guy. You Are what? you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been a, a Budweiser guy. Because, right, it's, but the Bush family is very closely associated. I've always thought, you know, Bud was the most, that most American of beers. Mm-hmm. And then you find out it got bought up by some company in South America, or rather, uh, yeah. South Africa, or was it Belgium or South Africa?
1: Uh, I'm not sure where the ownership yeah. rests at yeah. this point.
0: We, are, yeah, we are not uh, mm. a beer focused magazine. No. But the point being, you know, you just kind of a little, it takes a little wind out of the We're sale. just using it as an example, yeah, us, of yeah. of Of this American <laughs> staple being bought up by uh, a foreign. Uh, company and so Syngenta, which has been so good to American agriculture and will continue to be great to American agriculture, uh, it's just kind of a curveball when you see that it's been bought by a Chinese company. But it, but
1: it's interesting when you said about the the government regulations and the uh, and the the, the the hearings that are that uh, are going to be held on Capitol Hill about this and how quickly this has come about. This deal was announced on uh, September 14th earlier this week. There is a congressional hearing already scheduled on all of these these mergers and acquisitions, not just the Bayer Monsanto, but Dow DuPont, Kim China, Syngenta, the uh, the fertilizer uh, merger that we we discussed. All of this is happening in Washington on September 20th, next Tuesday. Now you know, obviously that will be over with by the time most of you folks hear this podcast, but it gives you an idea of just how. Concerned, uh, the regulators are. How concerned that other folks out in organizations and uh, and in companies, out in the uh, the market, folks like National Farm Bureau, uh, National Corn Growers, Soybean Association, uh, things like that, uh, all want to have a say in whether you know at least express their opinions on on this and the uh, the impacts it's going to have on the market. So. Things in Washington are going to move very, very quickly from that perspective. Then I anticipate things are going to slow down to almost a crawl as, uh, as you start getting into the Justice Department and, uh, and other regulatory issues on this. Um, Bloomberg also had a report earlier this week uh, saying that this, this really adds this, this potential agreement adds a new layer of complexity for antitrust officials who are already tied up with some of these other agricultural uh, mergers Uh, and that antitrust reviewers around the globe are going to have to consider not just each deal individually but now they're going to have to look at how all of these deals combined impact the markets so it's not just a we're going to approve this one." you know, we're looking at just approving this one. We're looking at now the scope of everything, and how these combined companies will will impact the market on a global basis. It uh, it truly is uh, a challenge uh, that they're going to have at this point uh, to uh, to you know to make it all make it all come together and make sense of it. Yeah, and, and we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to put, you know, Jim and I are just sort of <laughs> reflecting a lot of the reports we read this week. I don't want to, uh, obviously our first concern is to make sure our listeners get a fair shake when deals like this happen. We want to make sure, you know, things are priced reasonably for the American cotton producer so that you all can can be as profitable uh, in your work as feasible. Uh the other thing for me personally, you know, I come from Leland, Mississippi. My mother has worked at Delta Pine for a long time. I, I know uh, a lot of the people there. You know, I'm sure that there are people in that, you know, a lot of people on both sides, a Bear and Monsanto, who we know well, are great people, and they want this merger to go. Some folks want this merger to go through, you know, so, I mean, I don't... I don't want us to sit here and go. Well, it looks like it's going to be 50%. It's probably not going to happen. It's got to jump these regulatory hurdles, these DC hurdles. Uh, ultimately, if they merge, you know, it could work out best for all. You know, we don't we don't want to put a negative spin on on this merger. Were it to go through, we hope it works out best for all involved.
1: I think I think as, as those of us who have been around this industry and, and for, just say the ag industry in general for, you know, for any number of years. Uh, the one constant in, in all of this is change. Uh, we can't go back, you know, I think when I first started getting involved in this market back in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, there was a, you know, four bushel baskets full of different companies out there with uh, with their chemical products or their seed. Uh, and obvious, obviously, over the years, those numbers have whittled down to, you know, to where we are today, uh, looking at, you know some very very large corporations that have been successful on their own now looking to merge into something even bigger Uh, it's you know it it's certainly going to be be a challenge and I mean right now Dow DuPont from what we understand you know their plans were to have their deal closed by the end of this year the um, the Bayer Monsanto combination are looking at having things squared away by the end of 2017 uh, and that's going to be a monumental challenge. Uh, yeah. As we said, uh, the Kim China Syngenta deal continues to move, you know, pretty much on pace at this point. Uh, but it will be interesting to see now with the volume of, of activity going on, how the whole approval process and review process, uh, if it slows down just a little bit more than, than everyone originally anticipated.
0: Yeah, you're talking timelines there. I was actually just looking this up on my uh, on my podcast app on my iPhone. I was trying to go back and find the episode where we we first mentioned this merger, and it was May 26. We had a we had our actually wasn't that it was episode 18. Um, another potential merger pops up. So what really wasn't that? Feels like we've been talking about it longer than that, doesn't it?
1: This one has actually moved pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there were a lot of start and stops, and uh, you know, it, it people at one company asking for this, and another asking for that. And, yeah. You know, it's it was it was a very interesting negotiation process to kind of sit back and watch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, May twenty-six, cotton grower editors Jim Stebbin and Beck Barnes discussed the potential. <laughs> Bayer and Monsanto merger, as details begin to emerge. Right. Since,
1: and you can and you can go back even further to you know to our first initial discussions about Dow DuPont, which would have been late last year, early this year, uh, and I believe in one of our March editions, uh, actually had an interview with Tim Glenn uh, from DuPont, talking about the uh, the structure and and how things were going and. And all of that so it's it's been something that that obviously has been on our radar pretty much for almost for a year now
0: yeah yeah no doubt Um, definitely something we will continue to keep an eye on I don't want to I don't know if you don't want to step on your toes I don't know if you're wrapping up there no I'm I have nothing else to say because again it's it's going to be something
1: that that we'll all just sort of have to sit back and watch Uh, we'll see what comes out of the congressional hearing next week Uh, what sort of information and what sort of uh, of feelings we get from uh, we see from throughout the rest of the industry Uh, for those of us who are focused on cotton obviously it has the potential to shift our market a little bit uh, even if it are even if we're just taking pieces and moving them around Uh, that wouldn't be the first time that's happened in this in this segment
0: yeah yeah and that's an important uh, point to make I mean this isn't the first time. We're not reinventing the wheel here. Uh, we have seen these big companies uh, merge and buy up seed brands, and that seed brand gets spun off and bought by another player who you're familiar with, and and, uh, the, and the world keeps spinning, and, and you keep producing a good crop each year. So not time to, not time to flip out, uh, just time to kind of keep an eye on things at this point. Exactly. Well, that's all you got, Jim. Uh, we... Can hold up right there. We're going to take a quick break, a quick musical interlude, and uh, we'll come back and get you out of here very soon. So stick with us. So all right, that will just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion Podcast. We want to thank you sincerely for joining us once again. Uh, If you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your farmer buddies about this podcast. Uh, When doing so, you could tell them they can reach us, they can find us in three easy ways. The first of which is to go to cottongrower.com, find the search bar at the top of the page, and just search for the Cotton Companion there. It should take you to a landing page where all 23 now of our uh, podcasts are hosted. The second way, another good way to find us, just go to your iTunes app uh, on your on your uh, Apple device and search for our channel there. Uh, it's the Cotton Companion channel. Once you do that, you find us, you can subscribe, and that way every new episode of the Cotton Companion podcast gets downloaded automatically to your podcast stream there on your phone. I suspect a lot of you guys are already doing this, if those of you who spend uh, long hours in the... Uh, cab of a tractor. Y'all are more technologically uh, tuned in than people give you credit for. I know y'all know how to operate your iPhones. Search for us in your iTunes app uh, and uh, you won't regret it. The third way, the best way to make sure you catch every episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast is to subscribe to uh, the our weekly Cotton Grower e-newsletter. Jim works hard to pack that thing uh, with all of the relevant news of the day Uh, each week they hit your email inbox every Tuesday morning occasionally they will do so on Thursday mornings as well and uh, you can get the cotton grower e newsletter by going to www.cottongrower.com you scroll to the bottom of the page there and you will find a link that says subscribe once you click on that thing uh, it'll allow you to subscribe to our e-newsletter we just need your email address and uh, you you won't regret it Finally, make sure you are following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope you are enjoying our latest issue. That's the September issue. It would have just recently hit your mailboxes now. And uh, the next one we'll have to you is October, uh, October Product Guide, big tabloid size thing. You can't miss it. It should be in your mailboxes here in about maybe three weeks, maybe a uh, mid to late October. There you go. Mid to late October. So uh, this podcast is produced by Mr. Marcus Antonelli. He works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Jim Stebman, we wish you and your farm all the best.